Welcome to the First United Methodist Church. We hope our sermon broadcast will bless you. The first reading today is Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all of its iniquities. The next reading is John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to the fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. 
They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. Like any good mother, when Karen found out that another baby was on the way, she did what she could to help her three-year-old son, Michael, prepare for a new sibling. They found out that the new baby was going to be a girl. And day after day, night after night, Michael sang to his little sister in mommy's tummy. He was building a bond of love with his little sister even before he met her. The pregnancy progressed normally for Karen, an active member of Panther Creek United Methodist Church in Morristown, Tennessee. In time, the labor pains came. Soon it was every five minutes, and then every three minutes, and finally every minute. But serious complications arose during the delivery, and Karen found herself in hours of labor. Would a C-section be required? Finally, after a long struggle, Michael's little sister was born, but she was in very serious condition. With a siren howling in the night, the ambulance rushed the infant to the neonatal intensive care unit at St. Mary's Hospital in Knoxville, Tennessee. The days inched by. The little girl got worse. The pediatric specialist regretfully had to tell the parents, there's very little hope. Be prepared for the worst. Karen and her husband contacted a local cemetery about a burial plot. They had fixed up a special room in their home for the new baby, but now they found themselves having to plan for a funeral. Michael, however, kept begging his parents to let him see his sister. I want to sing to her, he kept saying. Week two in intensive care looked as if a funeral would come before the week was over, And Michael still kept nagging about singing to his sister. But kids are never allowed in intensive care. But Karen made up her mind. She would take Michael to see his sister whether they liked it or not. If he didn't see his sister right then, he might never see her alive. So she dressed him in an oversized scrub suit and marched him into ICU. He looked like a walking laundry basket. 
But the head nurse recognized him as a child and bellowed, Get that kid out of here! No children allowed! But the mother in Karen rose up strong. Then the usually mild-mannered lady glared steely-eyed into the nurse's face, her lips a firm line. He is not leaving till he sings to his sister. Karen then towed Michael to his sister's bedside. He gazed at the tiny infant losing the battle to live. And then, after a moment, he began to sing in the pure-hearted voice of a three-year-old. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. And almost instantly, the baby girl seemed to respond. Her pulse rate began to calm down and become steady. Keep on singing, Michael, encouraged Karen with tears in her eyes. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. As Michael sang to his sister, the baby's ragged, strained breathing became as smooth as a kitten's purr. Keep on singing, sweetheart. The other night, dear, as I lay sleeping, I dreamed I held you in my arms. And Michael's little sister began to relax as a healing rest seemed to sweep over her. Keep on singing, Michael. Tears had now conquered the face of the bossy head nurse. Karen glowed. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. And the next day, the very next day, the little girl was well enough to go home. Women's Day magazine called it the miracle of a brother's song. The medical staff just called it a miracle. Karen called it a miracle of God's love. But whatever way we might want to label it, one thing is crystal clear to me. The loving song that flowed through little Michael to his dying sister was also the voice of God singing her back to life. That's the theme of our scriptures this morning. God liberating and calling people back to life, both individually as in the case of Lazarus and collectively as in the case of the whole nation of Israel. Israel, of course, wasn't literally dead. The people were physically alive, but spiritually they were dry bones, as we heard some allusions to the text in the Old Testament scripture for today. The valley of dry bones, which Ezekiel saw in a vision, is a metaphor for the spiritual lives of God's people. Ezekiel lived and proclaimed his message during the time when Israel was being held captive by the Babylonian Empire. The people of God had been exiled, uprooted, and dragged away from the promised land to a land that was unfamiliar, a land that was filled with false gods and foreign ways, a land where they felt abandoned and forgotten by God. 
It was within the context of those conditions that the psalmist would write the 137th hymn, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows then we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked for songs of joy, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Can you hear the depth of their despair and hopelessness in those words? How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You see, for the people of Israel to be separated from Jerusalem, to be separated from the promised land, was to be separated from God. In Hebrew theology of the time, God was not understood to be omnipresent. God was not in all places at all times. God was in one specific place, the promised land, and more specifically, the temple in Jerusalem. So to have been removed from the land was for the people of Israel spiritually devastating. Their spirits were wasting away like lifeless bones in the blazing desert sun. And they wanted to know why God had abandoned them. The first 33 chapters of Ezekiel, which I'll try to read quickly. Kidding. Those first 33 chapters of Ezekiel are a prophetic explanation of why this has happened to the people of Israel. And they are hard words to hear. The people had been unfaithful. They had turned from God and failed to live out God's will. All that was happening was therefore punishment from God in their eyes. God had sent them into exile to teach them a lesson. The real question, of course, was whether there was any hope at all that God would ever be with and bless his people again. It's in the middle of the book that Ezekiel begins to answer that question, and it's specifically answered in the Old Testament reading for today. In Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14, but I'm only going to read 1 through 6. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. They were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Not only will God liberate the people and return them to the promised land, but God had never really abandoned the people in the first place. God had been with them through it all, even in the wilderness of the exile, even in the deepest, darkest valleys of life. God is more than prepared, anxious, maybe even desperate to once again breathe spiritual life back into God's people if they will just let God do so. Which is precisely why God calls Ezekiel to preach to the people. Ezekiel's to be the human voice of God, issuing a call to come back to life in God alone. 
the people say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We're cut off completely from God. But thus says the Lord, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. Their spiritual life in other worlds will not only be found after they have returned to the promised land, their spiritual life can be renewed now, even in the wilderness of exile, because they're not alone. They've never been alone. God has always been with them, calling them back to life. Life in the spirit, which cannot be contained to a building or a city or a particular patch of land, for the spirit of God covers the whole earth and inspires the breath of light, life and sets God's people free. Nearly 600 years later, Jesus would come proclaiming the same message of good news from God. Good news that said, and still says, no matter where you've been, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how deep you've descended into darkness, I still love you. And I still want to give you a full life. Jesus came to issue that same call to life and life eternal. A call to life that is not limited by anything, not even the power of death itself. That the power of God would allow Jesus, the very Son of God, to be raised from the dead after his crucifixion is perhaps not all that surprising. He is the Son of God after all, but what Jesus reveals in the raising of Lazarus is that that same power of life is available to ordinary people, to all people, people like us. I don't know if you heard it in the midst of the story but there's an interesting contrast between the faith of Mary and Martha in our gospel reading this morning. After Lazarus' death, when Jesus finally arrives, Mary and Martha both in turn meet with him. Mary, devastated by the loss of her brother, says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's grieving. She's hopeless, which is to be expected Martha, on the other hand, still had some shred of hope. Having met with Jesus prior to Mary, she too had said much the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Martha goes on to say, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. She too is grieving, but she is not as hopeless in grief as her sister Mary But she has a deeper faith in Jesus. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. It is here that Martha's vision and understanding reveal a lack of full clarity. She responds, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She believes Lazarus will rise again one day. But Jesus has a surprise in store He was going to raise Lazarus that very same day. Because the unconditionally loving, eternally life-giving power of God will not be limited by anyone, anything, or any power. 
and it will not even be limited by time itself. You see, in Jewish thought, it was held that the soul stayed with the body for only three days after death. After that, it was gone to wherever it is that souls go, beyond the point of no return. But Jesus, if you didn't catch it, comes on which day? The fourth day. The fourth day. Martha tries to intervene when Jesus asks to have the stone removed, saying, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead four days. But Jesus is undeterred. The stone is rolled away and the call to life is issued. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes forth to new life. Life given and inspired by the power of God's love. And that same power to bring about new life is available to all of us here and now. No matter how dead our spirits may sometimes feel, no matter how dry we may become, God still wants to fill us with love and life. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he not also give us everything else? Who will bring charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Jesus Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. No, but as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that we find in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.